and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. The podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insurtech space and bring you insight into their views and opinions on the sector, their career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. As you probably know by now, for season two, we're focusing purely on inspiring female technology leaders in insurance and insurtech, exploring their journeys to date, understanding a bit more about what they love about technology and insurance, discussing their thoughts on how we can get more females into the sector and much, much more. In this episode, I bring you Bill Gay Mert, who is the new CTO at Brit Insurance. Bill Gay has only recently joined Brit in the last six months, leading their technology team and has been tasked with the next phase of the firm's technology transformation. Bill Gay started her career away from the insurance sector, travelling the world working for Mondelez and Accenture before taking her first role in insurance at IPTQ, part of Swiss Re. She's risen through the ranks quickly and has a really brilliant story to tell on how she's done it. In this episode, we talk about her early life and her love of maths and engineering, her views on gender diversity in technology and the insurance space, and some great insight into how she believes bridging the gap between the business and technology is the most critical skill for technologists to master. Bill Gate is one of the most successful and highly regarded tech leaders in the insurance space right now, and listening to her insights and how she's done it and her advice to others was really fascinating. So without further delay, let's get behind the desk with Bill Gay Mert. Bill Gay, welcome to the Behind the Desk podcast. How are you doing? Hey, good, thank you. Good stuff. Look, I, I start the podcast, what you mean, I will have already done an intro, but um, I think it's really useful just to get some background from you. So do, do you want to tell the listeners kind of who you are, what you're doing at the moment, and, uh, and then we'll get into it? Uh, sure. Um, thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Um, I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Brit Insurance, and I lead the technology and data teams that covers engineering, data, cybersecurity, all the BAU teams, as well as the change work that we're doing across all our product areas. I've been with Brit for about six months now, and it's been a really exciting journey looking at their tech stack, the capabilities, and also seeing the direction that Lloyd's is going. And so we've got a lot on our agenda at the moment. Yeah, sounds like, sounds like you've got a, a fairly big and exciting team there. So we'll get into that much more later on. But um, I, I want to go kind of all the way back to the start. So t- t- tell us about how you got into technology and the, the, the kind of the early days. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm from Turkey originally. I grew up, I was raised, born and raised in Istanbul. I studied computer engineering, so that's how I got into it. At school, I was really into maths. I really enjoyed problem solving and I was really encouraged by both my family and the teachers at the time to go into engineering. Um, I have to say, when I was doing the course, I had my doubts on whether this is the right industry <laughs> for me a lot. It's, as you know, there's not many females going into STEM careers and I was the only girl in my class. So I've gone through my doubts. But when I finish university, I've gone through an assessment center for a graduate recruitment and I've got a great position with um, Mondelez at the time. It was called Kraftfus to join as an IT graduate analyst in their offices in London for six months. So that's how I think it's become more clear for me around where I wanted to go. I've started off in the service delivery team, so I was doing a lot of the release management, background monitoring, the core tech stuff around infrastructure support services. At the end of the six months, I was offered a permanent position to see if I wanted to stay, and that's how I got into a BA type of role. And I've done lots of transformation work. I traveled a lot with them. I worked in Paris for eight months 
and then I worked in Oslo for a while. And from that, actually, I've done a hybrid role with tech and operations and data when they were looking at building shared service centers for the European operations. So I've done that for them for a couple of years, traveling to Madrid and Bratislava. And so that's how I've got into it. And after that, it's just been a crazy roller coaster ride. I think one of the things I love about tech is it changes all the time and there's lots of things to learn. I've done consultancy for five years with Accenture, which has been a huge learning experience as well. Again, lots of different industries, lots of different countries and cultures where I got a lot of good experience. And I've joined British American Tobacco. And and after that, after many years with BAT, I've uh, joined the insurance sector. So I've been with Swiss Re in their digital insurance arm uh, with Iptiki for two and a half years before joining Brett. Yeah. So, so uh, going back to that, it was interesting what you said there that you were you were really encouraged to do the subjects at, at kind of school and um, and by your parents, etc. So, so what what I mean because obviously that is I think uh, that that's normally one of the criticisms I think of the fact that uh, especially like you say the lack of females in STEM subjects, particularly in IT. So, what what was different there? What, why would um, it may be interesting to explore that a little bit? Yeah, uh, my mum's a medical doctor, so she's okay. a doctor, and my grandfather is also a doctor so I think there was a lot of um, STEM experience there but um, I wasn't that keen on biology but I was really good in maths and my dad's a mechanical engineer so actually he was trying to encourage me towards mechanical engineering so we could work together and grow the business together Um, so that's how I got into studying it and I think when I studied um, it was late 90s and the internet was becoming a big thing computers that's when the internet boom started and I thought but that's the future that's the direction of engineering I want to go into so I think I was lucky in that respect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly think that's uh, it's an interesting concept that that, that the parents, uh, how much of it's kind of nature nurture thing. Um, so, so um, am I right in thinking that your first, so your first role was to actually move to the UK, and that was your first kind of job um, at Montevideo was in the UK. Uh, it was in the UK. I mean, I've done some trainships in Germany before, and I've done some in Turkey as well. But my first proper permanent job was in the UK. So, what was that? What was that like? Leaving family and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, it was hard. I was um, 22 and I hadn't really lived overseas before in London is a big city. So it, it was yeah. quite tough. Um, but I love the diversity of London and it's so cosmopolitan and there's so many opportunities. It's been a massive learning ground for me. And um, it also gave me the opportunity to travel around a lot. It's not that easy to do that in Turkey. It took me a while to feel confident speaking English. Um, so at the time, I was very lucky. My boss put me on the call center in the service delivery team. He's a vegan you can take up all the support calls and I was like oh my god (laughs) you're putting the girl with uh, broken English to be picking up the phone but actually it was amazing how quickly I learned and that's really helped me to actually grow my confidence and take on more roles so I think one of the learnings I've got from that is the earlier you actually go outside your comfort zone and challenge yourself the faster you learn so but it was it was fun. So did you evolve, because I noticed you said you were into the engineering piece, did you evolve um, from more of that uh, service delivery infrastructure side into actual software engineering or did you did you never do a, a kind of core development role? Yeah, I didn't do the core development role. I've actually moved pretty quick into doing BA and project work because yeah. one of the things I was actually missing from my engineering course was the contact with people and I really enjoy, so I love the maths and problem solving aspects of it, but I love talking to people, solving problems, finding ways to make their lives better finding ways to make the customers lives better so I think I found a niche good niche between the business and the software developers because I knew a lot about what they were doing I could debug code and guide them in how to design 
design things, but also I got to talk um, a lot with the business stakeholders. So I was acting more of a technical VA, and from that I got uh, to move into team lead roles, project manager roles, change roles. So I've always been in that inter- intersection of tech, data, operations, um, and driving change, really. Yeah. The roles that you had after that, you mentioned uh, a stint at Accenture um, and British American Tobacco. Were they all in the UK as well? Uh, yes, they were in the UK. So largely in the UK. But the first eight years of my career, I was doing Monday to Thursday in a pan-European implementation outside London. Yeah. So I was used to the 4am flights on Monday and coming back late on a Thursday. But I was always based in the UK. Yeah. So and, and were they, what sectors were they in as well? I mean, obviously British American Tobacco, but the, the, the bit that uh, Accenture was that really varied or what you mean was it so focused worked, on one um, yeah I worked a lot in oil and gas consumer goods pharmaceuticals a range of sectors so actually financial services introduction for me was with Swiss Re but before that I worked largely around consumer goods pharmaceuticals oil and gas chemicals so uh, across the different industries Quite varied, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's interesting because, uh, you, you, you know, as you probably know now, I mean, a, a lot of the people in insurance have been in insurance for, for, for yeah. a long time. It's yeah. quite interesting to, or quite unique to see people that have had quite a varied background go, especially going into senior roles. So what what was the appeal to move to, to, to Swiss Re and, and tell us a bit about the, the kind of Swiss Re IPTQ business and what that, what that, what that entailed? Yeah, Iptiki is a great business. What really attracted me was it was a startup and I haven't really worked in a startup. So I worked in large enterprises, multi-million year programs in many different countries, but I haven't really worked in a startup. So I thought that's really exciting. And um, I hadn't worked in insurance. So I thought I can learn something new and I can actually learn about a different operating model in a different industry. And there's a lot of experience I can bring in and working in large enterprises and knowing how tech can be used in other industries. And let's be honest, insurance is a little bit behind compared to other industries in terms of where they are in their tech journey so it was a good way for me to I think go in actually bring a lot of value and, ex- and good experience and also learn something new yeah uh, so you were there for two and a half three years yes yes yeah what was the appeal for leaving there and moving to to Brit what was the what, what kind of drew you to that role yeah yeah, um, I think one of the things is, um, first of all, I really love the vision of Brit. So Matthew Wilson, who's our CEO, is on sick leave at the moment, has got an amazing ambition. And when even when I was having the conversations with him during my interview process, he said it very clearly, four Ds is our strategic objectives, which is data, diversity, distribution and digital. And so these are key things that I'm really passionate about. So I think from a value point of view, that was a really good fit. I'm also really excited about what Lloyd is doing at the moment around really taking an industry which is a 300 year industry with a lot of heritage a lot of experience a lot of expertise specialty insurance is a lot more complex than what we were doing in personal lines so taking all that expertise and really trying to digitalize it and create the most um, advanced digital market in the world i think that's a really great journey to be part of really helping transform and innovate in that industry and the opportunity to really make a difference so smaller size team but a lot of a uh, lot of ambition and a lot of potential change which is what excited me yeah I mean I think that leads nicely on I think the the stuff at Lloyd's for, for sure is uh, there's a real challenge there isn't there and uh, I think the person who cracks it will, will, will be remembered for a long time so um, so what what's kind of top of the agenda for Britain and for you now um, kind of six months in just kind of get, getting settled what what's the what's the main thing on your agenda over the next kind of year or two 
Yeah, sure. So it's definitely to drive the digital and data agenda. We're really looking at how we can use data a lot better. We've already gone through our cloud transformation journey where we moved our data to the cloud and where we moved our apps to the cloud. But the next phase is really creating truly digital native applications. And we will have a phase where we'll be, of course, working with Lloyds around the digitalization journey there, but also building our own capabilities to move along that um, pathway and modernize our stack. Ultimately, my vision is being able to um, create um, that environment where we're using data effectively in our landscape. It flows through our system and we're trading with APIs as opposed to trading with the manual mechanisms, reducing that handoff between systems, automating those flows. So these are the key ambitions we have. So we've got a big agenda now working with our business and underwriter teams, underwriting teams around how we really map this out. How do we make sure that we use the right tech capabilities at the right time, which is helping us move along our strategy but also adding value at the same time. And what do you say, I mean, obviously, there, I think there's lots of businesses feeding into that Lloyd's market. There's lots of change going on at the moment. What, what do you kind of personally see, and I guess you, you with Brit as well, see as the big challenges that they, they've got to overcome to get it right kind of this time around? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest challenge is all the legacy systems we're all using. Um, some of these systems are 20, 25 years old. They're not in a really modern tech stack. So it's going to take a while for us to build the right foundations for us to move forward. I think, and that's what I'd advise to everyone I, I was spe- I'd be speaking to in terms of my peers as well, to really get on that modernization journey because it's a hindrance for us. The second part is data. The data is all structured in different formats and um, it's very difficult to trade if we I know we are a specialty business, so of course there's always going to be nuances between class of business, but there's also a lot of um, different sets of data, unstructured data between what we can do in carriers and what the brokers can do and getting the carriers closer to brokers. So I think that's a huge challenge. And then the third one is talent. Talent is not easy to find. The type of talent we're looking for isn't necessarily in insurance, so we should be attracting people from outside the insurance industry, which is not easy, but we need to create that right blend of tech skills with insurance skills so how do we build the right environment the culture and operating model so these teams learn from each other so i think that's like getting the right talent mix is going to be really important for us to drive the agenda yeah i mean i think uh i talk a lot about the the kind of attracting people from outside of insurance and um obviously you you took that transition so what 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 do you think the how do you think that problem solved as well because that's uh, I, I think that it, that is a bit even i'm sure insurance isn't isn't the only industry that is quite into like that but but certainly seems like there there is a lot of that in insurance and that that could be part of the problem yeah, I definitely, I think it is. That's why I think IPTQ is a great place as a learning ground. I mean, Swiss Re is a great place to learn anyway. But I think with an IPTQ, because it was a startup environment, it was quite small. And we mm. believed in agile operating models and cross uh, functional collaboration so I could bring in my knowledge and I'd be always sitting with the marketing teams underwriting teams actuarial teams and we would solution together we would define things together and you learn so much through that process I think if I went into a traditional organization where with a lot of handoff points it would have taken a lot longer but putting people in the same room and getting them to um, really solution and problem solve together is really helpful and it was really helpful for the business stakeholders they've become a lot more tech savvy at the end of it that yeah. I think they'd be they'd be easily um, they'd be able to move into tech careers. So I think um, we'll also need to think about finding the talent, but making sure that we create the right environment for them to really learn from each other. 
Yeah, it's interesting the, the point you make there because I think that's uh, something that comes up a lot is that actually a lot of the people running uh, insurance businesses are, are, are really not that tech savvy, um, and so therefore that that kind of understanding there is there is a there's a, a bit of a gap between that and which can sometimes be a problem. You I mean have you found that in the past, and, and and do you think that that's improving? Do you think people? I mean, it certainly sounds like where you are at the moment, there's much more of an appreciation and a, a value placed on on the tech side of things, but I, I'm not sure. Always yeah, I think it is improving. I think traditionally it would be found it's not only it's, it's a two sides thing as well. It's not only the business teams who needs to be tech savvy, but I think we also had a lot of tech leaders who were coming from an infrastructure background that didn't necessarily yeah. do the business engagement. So they were doing a support role and maybe they were comfortable doing a supporting role. So it's now getting a lot more, I think, business critical in terms of enabling and driving change. So I think as we bring in different types of talent, as I think the what they're seeing from outside industries as well is helping. The the teams are getting closer. So I think there's still a lot to be done. I think harder in larger organizations, to be honest, because they'll be also um, hampered by all the legacy processes and legacy systems they have. But we have an opportunity definitely within as a Lloyd's managing agent with the size of us, getting the right mentality and driving things that things through uh, will become easier. Mm. So where, where do you think the um, so over the next few years where where do you think that where do you see the kind of the sector really changing where where, where do you, what, what way do you think it's going to go? Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of focus on data and structuring the data. I think a lot of companies, yeah. both on the um, managing agent side and the broker side, will think about how do we clean the data, how do we structure it, how do we set standards. I'm hoping that there will be more collaboration. We're seeing good signs of it. It's not going to be easy by any means, but I think that's going to be a direction we will go through. We'll build partnerships and alliances to define data standards and communicate in a much better place. I think another trend that I see coming is the utilization of more low-code, no-code technology and really empowering the business users so traditionally IT staff used to always create technology products to the business but I think now we need to really start looking at democratizing data so that we are enabling we becoming an enabler for the business to use that data and add value similarly democratizing creation of some of the apps so that the business users are becoming more tech savvy I think that's going to be also a key trend that we'll see moving and I think the last one is more emphasis on automation intelligent automation so initial signs of first signs of automation and RPA is more around rule based but I think there will be in a more of an evolution not a revolution but you use more and more intelligent automation and move up the value curve towards AI capabilities so I think that's going to be both in insurance and outside but to be honest I think we have more opportunities in insurance because we are sitting on a lot of data we just don't mm. use it so compared to some yeah. of the industries insurance could be a data business but we've just not been tapping in to it yeah I mean it's interesting the first point you meant about collab as you said about collaboration as well so what you mean a, 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 a kind of outside view looking in um the the unique nature of the Lloyd's market i.e lots of different carriers brokers that are feeding into one central market it's always kind of always thought it was quite surprising that a lot of the other business the businesses don't try and work together and it, and it, it certainly seems like that's happening more but do you, do you think that's do you think this, that, that that pace of kind of change in that space is accelerating or do you think there's still it a is. Yeah, I think, I think still, there's still work to do for sure. There's still work yeah. to do, but we can see acceleration now. I think um, approval of the CDR was a good step, even though it's looking at the back office data, it's a really good starting point. I think it will increase collaboration. We're also hearing from the partners, both on the managing agent side, on the broker side, they're starting to make steps. I think we will all have learnings. There'll be some failures along the way. 
uh, I think we'll all need to um, they'll work together and agree some standards because if we can agree to the standards, it will make life all easier for us and it will mm. reduce refactoring and rework we have to do later. And I think both Lloyd's LMA has got a very important role to play in coordinating that effort. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I wanted to move on next. But as you know, this series of the podcast is uh, all about uh, female tech leaders. Um, obviously, we've touched on it a little bit at the start, talking about your journey into the space. But um, I just wanted to get into it. You mean, I, I think uh, you also mentioned about talent and diversity as a couple of the uh, couple of the areas to focus on. So all, all kind of points towards that 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 kind of elephant in the room that there there, there just aren't many. Uh, when I actually went to this podcast, I was it actually really was surprising just how how little the pull was of people for me to actually approach to come on. So what, what do you think from your experiences and kind of where we're at now, what, what, do, we, what do we need to do to, to start improving that, that situation? Yeah, there isn't a single answer to that. I think it needs to be a holistic approach. I think the recruitment process is an important point, uh, making sure that we have got an inclusive talent pool. And actually, a little bit of that is also not being limited to insurance industry, being open to candidates coming from other industries. Because as you said, we're talking about a really limited pool. If you're looking at people within insurance, within the Lloyd's market, it's becoming smaller and smaller. So I think having a more inclusive pool um, is is helpful. And then uh, also looking at other ways to bring talent in. So, for example, we have recently partnered, partnered with Code First Girls uh, in terms of our graduate program. So I will have two interns coming in, very excited about them joining, one in data analyst role and another one in a software engineering role. I think this is a great opportunity to work on the pipeline and building talent. I think the other part is really looking at um, some more, I think, focused programs in growing talent, especially when it comes to um, senior leadership roles. Because what we find sometimes with women is like, even if we bring them to a certain level, it seems to be a difficult jump moving from a manager level to a senior manager to director level, to really looking at coaching and mentoring and giving them support around influencing, messaging, getting their ideas across and, and getting people on board. I think these are the areas we could support women more in terms of coaching to really help them make that next step but as I say there isn't a single um, one I I put a lot of effort into it part of the reason why I'm here today as well is to actually be showing more what's what's possible and creating more role models for for women to look up to but um, I think I as I said like not a single place working with our recruitment partners working with our HR teams working with our internal teams around growth so we need to look at a multi-level, a holistic approach to see how we can really improve the diversity and also making sure that we're inclusive as well because people sometimes tend to forget that part. You know, we can have the diversity, but really tap into the power of it. You need to create that culture where these different ideas can flourish and not only when it comes to bringing gender diversity, but all, all the different um, layers of diversity, aspects of diversity. Yeah, the um, I'm just going to, I'm going to talk about the second one you mentioned. I've not come across it, but did, did you say it was called yeah. Code for Girls? Code First Girls. So Code it is Girls. a um, it is an organisation that helps um, new entrants into engineering roles. So right. it could be a new graduate, it could be someone who's coming from another industry, like a mid-term career mover, could be someone coming from a, a maternity leave and wants to change a different career. So they take them through a um, training program. So you can go through different paths, either a data engineering path or a full stack engineer or a front end engineer, and they call them nano degrees. And they're companies where you can sponsor a number of candidates. So as Brit and Key, we decided to sponsor four candidates. So we'll have two candidates for Brit and two for key 
And after a training program, hopefully they'll be happy to continue working with us so you can offer them, a, um, if it all works, a permanent position for them to stay. So I think that's a good way to bring talent in, especially for companies who are not tech companies. Let's be honest, we're not the best in training tech talent. Um, yeah. So I think partnering with these kind of organizations are helpful. I've worked with them during my time in IPTQ as well. And that was, again, a way for us to bring in female talent in junior levels. But then, of course, we need to work with them to help them progress further in their career. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I, I certainly think you I mean you're not going to solve the the problem of the leadership piece if you just start, don't start feeding the, the the funnel at the bottom. And and the second point you mentioned is about um, people getting to that level and 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 then it kind of uh, fading away at that point. What, what why, do you, why do you think that is? I mean, obviously you've um, I'm sure you know other female tech leaders you're obviously one yourself what what, what do you think that that kind of because I know exactly what you mean it does, it does seem to get to kind of a certain point and then people just don't go any further um and I'm sure it's not all purely a kind of a discriminatory thing from an internally from a company especially not now because it certainly seems like people are, do do have the the willingness to want to get more women in through but it, it just doesn't seem to happen yeah for sure I think visibility is still a challenge to be honest because yeah. um, especially when you have senior levels it becomes smaller and smaller and there are not many women at the table so I yeah. think um, getting the visibility of the people I think maybe women are not as forthcoming when it comes to talking about their achievements and what they've done so I think doing that encouragement is, is helpful and also uh, it's not it's a different type of skill the narrative building influencing and that requires some dedication coaching especially if you haven't done those roles and if you haven't had the visibility and if you don't have the contacts with the senior people you need some support to really get that credibility buy-in uh, and the what they call the gravitas with them and those yeah. things that need some more additional support because let's be honest we're still all companies want to do more work with having more women in leadership tables but we're also not at the same time quite Maybe not ready, but we're not used to seeing those female female leadership traits at that table either. So yeah. I think there's still a few things that get missed out. So more effort, I think, in coaching women to get to those positions is really helpful to help them move up the value chain. Yeah. And, and, and Fritta, you mean, obviously, you've got yourself into a uh, senior position. You've held a couple of roles at that level now. You mean, what advice would you give? Because, you mean, I think that there'll be various different people listening to the podcast. There'll be people at entry level. There'll be people who were where you were five years ago and maybe struggling to get through that road. So, you mean, it'd be good, really good to hear about some of the, the kind of challenges that you faced throughout that period and, and kind of how you overcome them. And, 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 and I guess more specifically, the, the, the advice you'd have for anyone else who's in a similar position at the moment. Yeah, I think as I say, one of the challenges was visibility, just knowing where the opportunities were. Because yeah. sometimes what you might see is that there's already an unconscious bias to assign a large project to someone that they know. And if they don't know what you can do, what your capabilities are, you might not be seen as the first person to be assigned that project. And I'm just talking about not at a director level, even more junior levels, as you're building your credibility and influence, being in the right conversations, there might be something that was discussed around the coffee corner or in a, you know, in a more non-social aspects that you might not know and you don't have the visibility, so you can't put yourself in that position. So I think therefore, like working actively on networking and sponsors is important. So if you have a sponsor who is one or two levels above 
for you and really knows your work, that person can be really helpful in opening doors for you because that yeah. they might think that, oh, actually, you know what? This person can be really good with it. Maybe it has these development areas, but it's a good challenge for that person. So, of course, companies can do more, and I'm sure a lot of them have in terms of HR processes and doing that, but I would really encourage women to take control of your careers, really work on who are the people who can be your sponsors in that organization, who can help open doors for you, who can really give you access to what's happening, what are the exciting new things where you can be working and making an impact. And then the other thing is really for the women, um, for the candidates to really think about their careers and how they can grow and really look having an open mind to different areas. So it might be that you're a BA, you're a fantastic BA, you don't think that you can be an architect, but you know what, if you have the opportunity and there's an exciting project and you think, you know what, I'm 60% there, but I need another 40%, go for it and learn for it in the job. Be open to accepting that you might make some mistakes, but learn from them really fast. So I think being really open and taking challenges and pushing yourselves is really helpful to increase growth. Like I've changed a lot of roles. And even when I was with BAT for eight years, but I've changed roles every two years, I've done different things. And that really helped me to both build my credibility and network in the organization so I could increase my influence, but also learn lots of things. I worked as a, I mean, I joined as a solution architect, then I was a project manager, I was a design authority, I was head of architecture, then I had strategy data. So that really helped me to understand the organizations to see where really I can add value and how to do that. Yeah, you know, I think that's uh, from obviously my line of work. I think that you you, you see that uh, that's a really good piece of advice. That variety piece, because I think the days of someone kind of doing one type of job and then it kind of being a dead cert to go into a CTO role have, have really changed, haven't they? I mean, it, you've seen lots of different backgrounds in those types of roles before, rather than just the typical kind of engineer through to architect through yes, to CTO. For sure. For sure. And I would encourage, like, not only women, everyone to think about that. Any new entrance or someone in the mid-level, if you think you've been in a role for four... I mean, of course, if that's what you want to do the rest of your life, that's totally also fine. But if you'd like to move towards more senior positions, I think having that variety is really good. And sometimes, Mm. even if you're, like, a really strong architect, for example, moving out and taking a project manager role gives you a completely different perspective because Mm. you're thinking about not architecture, but delivery, timelines, business engagement. And when you come out of it, you might still want to be a chief architect but it's a lot more varied experience and a lot stronger for example when it comes to stakeholder management so that's when I coach my teams regardless of their background I that's what I always encourage them to really stretch their thinking and and their experiences yeah yeah I mean I, I, I also think that um that variety and I think you mentioned something about getting to know more people in a business and therefore building your credibility building your influence do do you think that's uh, an important because I I think you've mentioned it a couple of times about being able to engage with the business and and actually working in different areas and therefore being able to have more people that know what you can do but but also just uh, basically more people who just know who you are do you think that's a that's a kind of key part that maybe people don't do as much now they kind of get tunneled into one type of thing and, and, and don't really go out of their lane. Yeah, that's for sure really important because um, however good you are in technology, it's about then your ability to be able to implement it and your ability to be able to get it adopted and making value of it. And that all comes from human interactions and communication skills. So I think going out there, getting a varied set of roles, but also working with the business stakeholders closely, really understanding the why and really understanding how you can add value and make their lives better is something I would um, advise to all technologists. 
Yeah, 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 for sure. Great. Well, look, there's there's all there's uh, three questions that I always ask everyone in the, at this point. Um, so the first thing I, I I'm always interested to hear, and, and this would be even more so for you because you've actually seen different sectors. But what what's the what's the one the the one thing that you or it doesn't have to be one actually, but what's the, what why is it you love insurance and insure tech now? You you obviously moved into it. You've stayed mm-hmm. there. It sounds like yeah. you're staying for yeah, the yeah. for the foreseeable. Mm-hmm. So what what is it you love about the sector? I think it's the opportunity to make a difference. I think there's a lot of room for growth, a lot of room for digitalization and change in insurance. So I think um, that's that's one thing I love. And also the second thing is it's a data business. So there is a lot you can be doing with the data we sit on. So I think it's a missed opportunity, as I say, that really makes me want to work in insurance. I know it's not maybe exciting for a lot of people, but there's a lot of room for improvement. Yeah, I think that's kind of changing as well, isn't it? Like the, um, I know what you mean. Like when I tell people I work in insurance, it's not exactly the most uh, kind of sexy uh, industry. But I think that's gradually changing now. That there's more and more tech business, like you say, the startups and insure tech. I think that's gradually changing. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, yeah. It's, it's and if and it uh, depends on what you like. If you like transformation, I think it's a great place to be um, because yeah. there's a lot of transformation happening in insurance at the moment. It's 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 really ripe with it. When you look at all all the other companies, whether it's in Lloyd's or outside, they also drive transformation programs so it, it's a great place to be for that respect yeah yeah for sure so and what's the so what's the best thing about being behind your desk right now um i think uh, firstly i'm building a great team um so yeah. it's building that team growing that team and really seeing what we can do i think that's really great at the moment um my last six months they've been very actively in recruitment and really bringing the best talent and also embedding that talent in our organization and this is great to see and is that, is that predominantly you mentioned quite a few times about engineers and stuff like that is that predominantly what you're you're trying to build out at the moment the engineer in peace Across the board, we've got engineering talent coming in. We've got a lot of data talent coming in for data engineering, data BA, tester roles. We've got BAs, we've got architects. So it's across the board, really building the capability for us to really help um, drive the digital transformation agenda. Because one of the things I really believe in is that partnerships are hugely important, but you need to make sure that you've got a core team of people who know what they're doing and who are really um, technically advanced. So that's what we're building at the moment. And it is great to see that team flourishing. And we will continue building that and continue working with our partners to drive our roadmap. So I uh, I always uh, want to know a little bit as well, as much as we focus a lot on the work, um, I think it's always good to know a bit about uh, Bill Gate away from work. So so t- tell us a bit about what you do when you're not building teams and, uh, yeah. and transforming Brit. Yeah, I love traveling. So it's great. I mean, COVID has been really hard for me um, not to be able to travel. And uh, that was yeah. tough. So now that things have opened up, I've, I've been back on the road. So that's great. Um, and I think outside that during lockdown, I've got a cat. I never thought I wanted a cat. <laughs> now I love my cat. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of my time is spent when I'm down just relaxing and playing with my cat. Yeah. What what uh, what you mentioned about the travelling thing um, is that uh, do you kind of what kind of travelling to what kind of stuff do you do what kind of where's the best places you've been what what kind of stuff is it hol- beach holiday type stuff or is um, it a bit more adventurous uh, yeah that's what I'm doing a lot at the moment relaxing but um, before that um, I used to work in Brazil a lot in South Africa oh, wow. and Italy so that's one of my favourite places of work I've gone I used to travel to Brazil spent three weeks there and two weeks back in the UK back in three weeks in Brazil um, but both Brazil, South Africa and Italy has been places that have stayed with me. I've spent long periods of time um, in the past and, and it stayed with me. But I think now I would just go back to, to visit. I'm largely in London. 
Yeah. Do you um? Do, are you, have you still got family and stuff in Turkey? Do you go back there much? Yes. Um. Yes, I do. Um. I used to try to go every three months for a long weekend. Um. So now that things are open, I hopefully I'll be able to do that more often as well. Yeah. Great. And uh, and as anyone uh, will know, one when listening to a podcast, I, I have a bit of a quick fire round for a bit of fun at the end. So um, I'll fire a couple of these at you. So what what's the one piece of technology that you couldn't live without? Oh, it's got to be my phone. <laughs> Everyone that knows <laughs> me, they know. Definitely the most common answer. Yeah, I would go everywhere. So I've got my work phone, my personal phone, and I've got a Turkish phone as well. So I've got these three, oh, phones, wow. three phones that I'm juggling. But I don't carry paper anymore. So all my notes are in an app and everything I do is in an app. If not, I'm syncing with my iPad. So I think it would be my smart devices. Not, not one of those people that still walk around the Lloyd's building with the big paper folders in their arms. They're almost that rich. <laughs> that would be a bit of a, a, a kind of, it wouldn't make sense given what you do. What, what's the brand or company? You can have, um, you can have one or the other um, that, that you really admire and why? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's Udemy at the moment uh, because I'm really yeah. big on talent, as I said, once one of our biggest challenges. And I think it's really transformed the way that we can get people upskilled. And as I said, one of the things I really believe in is in empowering the business users so they're not fully relying on tech specialists in the teams. I think these kind of mechanisms are really good to uh, way to get the people up to speed with the technologies and helping the transformation journey as well, getting them to use data much better, getting them to create apps, learn new skills and even for people who are outside the tech industries they're, they're really helpful so what and um, for people who don't know what that is can you can you just explain a bit about what that yeah what that, what sure the um, it's basically an online platform for learning tech skills. So um, you can sign up yourself or the company, actually within the company, you can also get an account through that. But it's got a wide range of courses and they are a lot more easier to digest and learn than what you used to see in the past. So one of the things um, uh, I love, for example, is not through Udemy, but when I was learning coding and engineering, there was no YouTube. But now there's so much material outside. So yeah. you're not really, we had to go and have to find a book and talk talk to a specialist, talk to our professors. Now you have that content everywhere. And I just love the community. There's so many people in tech who want to just share what they know. So just yeah. leverage it. I think Udemy is a great way to get up at speed, but there's a lot more access to sources. Actually, if, if you get the support and the motivation, a lot of people can get into tech careers now. Yeah, it, I, I, that's that's such a good point. And I mean, we, uh, it's a random story, but when I, when I, fifteen years ago, when I started doing tech, obviously I'd done nothing to do with tech as well. I'd never done any coding or anything. So actually, getting your head around the terminology was 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 so so difficult. Um, now it's just so much easier with YouTube. Isn't it? There's a video on pretty much everything. So I think that's uh, that's a really good one. Um, favorite business related book. Um, I think for me, it's the um, first 90 days. I quite like that book, um, yeah. especially because I've changed a lot of roles either within a company or in different companies. And it's a go-to book. I look back at to some of the frameworks and thoughts, ideas as I as I build my plans. It's a classic. So it's, it's an easy to digest books as well uh, that I've used a lot in the past. Favourite film or TV series? Can I have one of each? Um, this is so, a bit of a favourite now after lockdown. Yeah. I think people have been spending a lot of time on yeah, Netflix and so. Um, Actually, my favourite film is Terminator 2. Um, it was, I think, <laughs> okay. um, my. I remember watching it, I think I was 12, and on the big screen, and I was just like amazed. And the music, the everything was just so amazing. And um, it's become my favourite film, and I think still it's close to my heart. Um, in terms of TV series, I'm a, a bit of a Star Wars fan, <laughs> so I love Star, Star Wars. Wars. 
Yeah, I think I'd be a travel blogger, so I think I'd probably be traveling around the world or, yeah. and post recipes and, and photos and, and experiences. Yeah, this isn't one of the questions, but what, so f- favorite city? Uh, oh, this is really difficult for me. This is really difficult for me. There is uh, so many. I think uh, New York is my favorite city. Um, yeah. it's, uh, I-, I love New York. I think in terms of countries, probably Italy. I've mentioned earlier, like it's. Uh, I- I've worked there for eighteen months. I worked just outside Rome when I was with Accenture wow. with Johnson and Johnson, and yeah. I love the food. I love the culture. I love the language. So I think it's it's my favorite. Yeah. yeah, New York's my number one. Although I went to Cape Town not long ago, and that was that was a very very close second. Um, and the last question: um, so your number one female role model? Yeah, I, that's my mum. I'd say. So as I said, I think we at the start. Um, my mum was a doctor, and she was a huge influence in encouraging me to go to STEM subjects. I think she was also very influential at the start for me to start to learn foreign languages and get to English because we were thinking, oh, is it English, French, Italian, what should I do? And then yeah. um, she was really influential in, in helping me move forward along those lines. So, yeah, she's a great role model. Did you, did you learn, I guess, do you learn English at school? But it, was that, is that kind of pretty standard in Turkey, um, learning English? Yeah, I mean, from the age of 10, actually, um, my mum helped me to go to a um, special school. Um, it, was a, it was an American school, so I learned English for a year at the age of 10. And then most of my subjects, like maths, was taught in English. So that's really made it easy for me to move forward. And that's why I think what she's done at the time and her vision and her thinking has really helped, I think, shape up my career in the future. Yeah, yeah. Actually, there is one more question that I always ask people just for a bit of fun. So if there's one, if there's one question that I should have asked um, you yeah. but didn't, I'm going to start actually asking the next guest this. It's a bit of a steal from the Diary of the CEO podcast. But um, yeah, what should I have asked you but I didn't? Um, so I think it would be what can insurance learn from other industries? Um, okay. I think it's Tell uh, us. <laughs> yeah. There's there's so much. Uh, I think it's uh, there's a lot um, insurance can learn because a lot of the transformations we've gone through, for example, banking, the financial services has gone through that. So I think there's a lot of learnings we can apply. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, I'll, uh, I'm, I'm going to factor that in for the next time around. So, well, look, you mean, th- first of all, thank you so much for taking some time out to speak to us. Um, naturally, off the back of this, I'm sure there'll be some people that want to reach out, may- maybe some people that uh, want to get some advice or maybe want to mentor or maybe want to apply for one of those jobs that you're hiring for. Um, is LinkedIn the best place to get hold of you? Yeah, or is there a LinkedIn's way? the best place. Um, I've got a quite an active profile. I check it regularly. Um, our yeah. roles are posted online as well, as well as we've got ads in LinkedIn for some of them. So just checking our website checking my profile and asking questions if there are any so we are as i said we're in our journey to build talent internally so uh, we're really looking forward to seeing more candidates coming through brilliant well look again once again thank you so much um everybody thanks for listening plenty more episodes coming so so look out for them if you want to get hold of bill gate get hold of her on linkedin same for me and uh, i will catch up with all of you again soon Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, like and a comment, and even better, please share with your friends and colleagues. 
If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so at linkedin.com forward slash Mark Thomas and the number zero. It would be great to hear from you. Equally, if you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore, it would be great to hear them too. Behind the Desk is powered by Eames Consulting, part of the Eames Group. You can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening. I look forward to catching up with you again next time.